Hi, everybody. I'm Cody Vladimir Burkett. I'm the Arizona Wine Monk. <coughs> a lot of people ask me, wait, how did you become a wine monk? Are you an actual monk? Does the Catholic Church know about this? Uh, I forget the order of the questions I asked, but no, the Catholic Church doesn't know because they won't care because I'm Eastern Orthodox. Um, B, it's a long story. I'm going to get into that briefly before we get started. And C, because I like drinking and because I like writing and I like thinking about wine. And I like doing all of them at once as Gary, over there in the back with his donut in his mouth, unfortunately knows too well. As occasionally we will hang out and I'll be like, oh, we need to drink this and, and talk about it. And he'll be like, can't we just shut up and drink it? <laughs> so anyway, start with how I got into wine in the first place. Um, Arizona native, born and raised. When I was 15, I was on a camping trip uh, with my dad and his buddies from the city of Glendale. And um, that's where I was back then way back when. Uh, lo and behold, one of my dad's friends brings along a Chianti Classico. I had grown up watching Fraser, so I had a very rough idea of how to approach wine. Um, <clears throat> fell in love with that glass. <coughs> the night pretty much ended with me sitting in front of a campfire looking up at the first time the Northern Lights were seen in Arizona in about 80 years with a glass of Chianti Classico and a red Solo cup going, shit, did I just peak at 15? Probably. Okay. Um, Started drinking Arizona wine when I was 22. Um, the very first bottle of Arizona wine I had on my 21st birthday, it was from Cocapelli. Needless to say, it was so bad it took me another year. Uh, they were kind of infamous for that back in the day. Now they're not even doing Arizona fruit, which is why they will have never appeared on my blog. So anyway, I became the wine monk itself. Uh, there was a wine column that was being written intermittently in the noise, the local arts newspaper for the Verde Valley in Northern Arizona. Um, a couple of authors had come and gone. Um, someone suggested, well, Cody, why don't you submit a writing sample? And so I did. And then a week before the deadline, actually like four days before the deadline, uh, I got a message back from Carl Charles saying, I really like your work. Can you get an article done in like four days? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so the very first review I did for that was the Katsuni Sangiovese. I want to say it was the 2011 or 2012 vintage. Um, then I started gathering wines quicker than I could review them once a month and went, hmm, I should start a blog because that's the only way I'm ever going to catch up. And somehow I still haven't caught up despite having a, a fairly regular update schedule on podcast. Um, it seems to have stabilized now at about 80 bottles in my cellar on a regular basis uh, and no sign of diminishing. So anyway, I'm here to talk about social media and wine, which is kind of how I built up this whole image of the wine monk. And my alternate title for this is like, how to post while you're drunk, or how to post while you're drinking, about what you're drinking. Um, so there's a number of different options. So there's lots of different ways to show what you're drinking in the internet age. What works, what doesn't. So you got Twitter, you got your blogs, you got Instagram and Facebook, Tumblr, uh, Snapchat, LinkedIn, you got various podcasting platforms and even YouTube. But what in the end matters most is what you're going to do with social media. Are you a blogger? Okay, then your approach is going to be different. Are you a winery? Your approach is going to be different. Or are you just posting pictures for the night of what you're drinking? Your approach is going to be different no matter what you do. And so the idea behind this, having no other you know, Im you know, impetus other than Ted saying, hey, why don't you do social media and wine for the, for the symposium was, okay, well, let's see how to use social media to your advantage. Um, so we're going to go through these different options one by one. I'm going to talk about how I can use them, how some other approaches to this particular option might work. And then 
So we'll go from there. So um, that kind of more or less is just the story that I talked about. Um, yeah, it was a kind of an accidental, you know, surprising thing. Um, and then I, like I said, had too much wine to go through and then said, oh, I should start a blog and drink more. So for blogging and social media is what we're going to start with because that was kind of my first approach. Um, you've got three major platforms. You've got Blogger, which is run by Google, WordPress, which is its own little thing, and then the, the Black Sheep, which is LiveJournal, uh, which somehow has still existed, um, despite being almost uh, the very first blogging platform known to the interwebs that has survived the longest, but it's not really used now outside of Russia. So if you're typing in Russian and have a Russian audience, then yes, use LiveJournal. If you're here in America, not so much. So Blogger, wrong button, I was trying to use laser pointer. Well, Blogger is good because it has an instant connection to Google, being one of the Google companies. So it automatically plugs you higher in your search results. Um, it's less customizable in appearance. Um, I've looked at Blogger blogs, and they just don't look nearly as, quite frankly, pretty as WordPress ones. And that was something that I wanted to expose. If I'm essentially writing for a landscape and wine for that landscape and trying to show how this landscape manifests itself, I want it to look as pretty as I feel the wines taste. So blogger for me was not an option. Um, if I was going for pure hits, which perhaps I should have, then I would have done that. But uh, you can also kind of run two blogs, you know, update on blogger, update on WordPress, have them linked to each other. Uh, it's a little complex. I'm going to be planning on doing that this fall during Crush, assuming I have time because, you know, it's Crush. Um, does anyone have time during Crush? That's the, no. the major question. No, 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 no. <laughs> so anyway, um, so basically both have about equal levels in support skill if you have problems. Uh, LiveJournal doesn't. Um, uh, spoiler alert, uh, when I was a angsty teenager growing up in Peoria, I did have a LiveJournal. No, you cannot have the address. That was supposed to elicit laughter. That clearly failed. So anyway, your third option, of course, if you are a winery, attach a blog to your website. I think Gary was talking about doing something like that for his Greater Than Wines label at some point. I have exactly one post because I'm a terrible woman. Yes, and you, and you even hang out with me. What's your excuse? Just kidding. I should just title this the, the Gary and Cody Banter podcast about social media. Uh, anyway, Gary and I have done podcasts in the past. We're pretty good friends. Uh, anyway, um, so if you have a winery or, you know, you're the Arizona Wine Consortium, uh, you should have a blog associated with your website talking about, okay, this is this winery and what they have, or this is what we're doing, or this is what the symposium was like. This is, you know, this sort of thing. It's an option that really I don't see very many wineries taking advantage of. Um, one of the things that I'm going to harp on constantly is that wineries are not using social media as much as they should be. And they really need to be upping their game. Especially here in Arizona where that's one of the major ways that people are going to find you. Um, is by doing Google research for what to do near Sedona this weekend. Um, but also the great thing about this, about Blogger and WordPress, especially, especially WordPress, is that it allows you to have your, show, your posts shared on other social media platforms easily. So you put a post on your WordPress. Say I reviewed, you know, uh, my next review is the Friday Sangiovese. Um, I can link that post when it comes up to Facebook, to Twitter, 
to Tumblr, which we'll get into in a moment, to LinkedIn, to something that I don't even use called Views, or, yes? Vivino, I didn't really talk about uh, in here, mostly because uh, I forget that I have it on my phone. I'm a horrible, horrible at reviewing wines on Vivino, and I should be doing it more often. Um, Vivino, for those who don't know, is a, a social media wine platform where you can scan a bottle of wine and rate it and then give simplified tasting notes, which is great. The problem is that I've had problems with Vivino being able to share with other social platforms. It will share automatically once or twice and then it just doesn't connect anymore to Instagram or Google+. I also didn't really talk about Google+, because no one really seems to be using Google+, for anything. Um, it is kind of a waste of space, in my experience. I have a Google Plus account. It just kind of gathers dust. Um, so, starting a blog. So, the first step, if you're going to start a blog, uh, look at what other people are around you are doing. Uh, how do you want to fill into that niche? Is there a niche that's pretty obvious that you can fill? Um, so, for me, it was looking at the wines themselves. There's this guy down in Phoenix. I don't know who he is. Uh, the Classy Alcoholic is the name of his blog. And he reviews wineries and gives weird stories about visiting them. And I'm like, well, this is not at all close to what I'm doing. Um, but at the same time, it, it's, there's a niche here that he's not covering that I can totally do, uh, which is reviewing the local wines and, and talking about that and that sort of thing. Um, if you're a vineyard, you could be like, this is how we make wine. Like, say if Joe Bouchard was doing a blog. Um, his lecture today would be great, because this was a great way for him to talk about, you know, this is what we're doing differently at Chateau Tumbleweed versus wineries in California. This is one of the ways that makes Arizona wine different from how some winery in California or some winery in New Mexico or some winery in Texas is making their wine. It's a great opportunity to reach out to your consumers that way. Or, you know, if you're working in the vineyard, um, hey, you know, it's pruning day, so this is how you prune an impromptu lesson on pruning. Maybe do a YouTube video on it. Post it in your blog. There you go. So that way when I'm down the road going, wait, shit, how do I prune again? I can go to Gary's blog and there it is. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. Second bud, not first bud. That sort of thing. Uh, second step like I was going on to is choosing a platform. Like I said, I went with WordPress for a couple of different reasons. Uh, easier accessibility. It looks much more polished. Um, choosing a name. Names are catchy. People remember names. Um, don't make it too long or people won't remember. Don't make it like the name of an academic paper like the blog for the Southwestern Eastern Wine Association for the glorification of Tanat. No one's going to remember that. They're going to be like, oh, that thing. The Tanat blog. Yeah, that. Um, so the Arizona Wine Month. It's something that sticks in people's memories. It's catchy. You can throw it in a theme song, you know, hey, hey, he's the wine monk. Okay, right. clearly I'm just gonna stop making jokes. Um, but also, um, it's, you know, the point is do something that sticks, that's easy to remember, that you can easily introduce that fits on a business card or a bumper sticker. Not that I'm ever doing bumper stickers, and of course, this is a really bad example of what, this is actually a really great example of what not to do. I forgot to bring business cards today. So yes, the social media guy doing the social media presentation forgot his own business cards. So don't do that. <laughs> um, when it comes to blog, um, you also need to update somewhat regularly. You need to have some sort of regular schedule that you can keep. 
even if it's only once a week, even if it's once every other week. Try to also have blogs lined up that you can, if you say are stuck in a rut or something or you're busy or it's crush season and you don't have time to press more than one button, okay, I've got this post that I've locked up and posted and was prepping for you know three months. I'll hit update, there it goes. Okay, back to punch downs. Um, but the other thing is, if you have a blog, you need to create the other forms of social media too as soon as possible. And we'll talk about those more in a moment. The reason being is because a lot of those blogs, when they update, as I was talking about, you know, when you update your blog, you can automatically update with links to, on all these other things. Facebook. Yes, of course, the, the share if you agree phenomenon. Yes, that's, that's me. I thought it was funny. Uh, you need to build a page for yourself on Facebook. Not just your personal page, but like a page for your blog. So if you look me up on Facebook, you'll see Cody Vladimir Burkett, but you also see the wine monk. Um, with people message you, answer your messages as quickly as possible. People don't like to be left waiting. Um, it's arguably the easiest and most interactive form of social media, but it also has a really great potential to start drama and feuds, so you gotta be very careful about that. It's easy to take words out of context in Facebook. Uh, you also have uh, an option to boost your post in ads for your blog or your wine or that sort of thing, but what I've noticed talking to people um, it's not super helpful to, to throw in money for ads and advertising, um, that sort of thing. Um, maybe if you are an actual winery, it will be useful. Uh, but for someone doing a blog or that sort of thing, like what I'm doing, it's not terribly useful to do ads. Uh, besides, most people run an ad blocker program on their Chrome or Firefox program anyway, so you don't see them anyway. Uh, the best way I've found to use Facebook is similar to Twitter. Share posts from others as well as your own comments and posts. So if you go to like my Wine Month page on Facebook, you'll see I've shared a lot of things from wineries down south. Like, hey, this was Sunrise on the Vineyard today. Oh, share that. And then following up will be like, this is my review of blah, 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 or commentary. And interact with these other wineries too. When you share something, comment on it if you can, if you have time. Twitter. So general rule for Twitter is every fourth post you do on Twitter is something that self-aggrandizes yourself. Uh, this is something that uh, one social media guru I talked to way back when told me. Um, the fourth post is something based that plugs yourself for something that you're doing or that shows that you're specifically unique. Pithy wit does help here. Um, you know, short, pithy one-liners like, I like my wines, like I like my women, decanted for three hours, or no, wait, no, just my wines. Um, or, you know, good streaming, I hardly know her. Wow, I really am not funny today. Uh, but again, like Facebook, follow and retweet from others relating your topic to build up a rapport. The uh, thing about Twitter, though, is that you definitely do need brevity. There is a 142 character limit. Again, um, Twitter, I've seen people go, oh, Twitter is the best thing ever. But I've also seen people go, oh, Twitter is stupid. Um, so I like to kind of use it as an accessory uh, for my Instagram account and my blog. Whenever I do that or there, I'll go on Twitter about once a day and share random things that other people commented make some sort of comment about maybe, you know, drinking or try and engage me like, what's in your glass tonight? Um, by the way, champions of Facebook, I think even better than me, Wines of Wilcox uh, with Thomas Hale Johnson and his wife. They're beautiful at it. They make it look so easy and are much better than I am. Is there a limit to the number of posts that you recommend per day or per week? Um, per day, I would say no. On Twitter, they're really, you know, as long as you space them out well enough, um, you know, like maybe one an hour or one every five hours or something or whenever. Um, for Facebook, I've, 
I would say probably keep it down to post maybe at most to post an hour. Uh, because you don't want to overwhelm someone's news feed either. Um, again, the idea is that where it's spaced out in, your, in someone else's news feed, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, every so often, where they go, oh, okay, yeah, that's pretty cool. Something to break the monotony of bad news or you know, teen pregnancies or whatever is trending on Facebook at the moment, I don't know. Instagram, uh, this is the platform I use more than any other. Um, why? Because I like taking pretty pictures of wine on my deck. Um, and also, people love photos. And the beautiful thing about Instagram is that there's not nearly as much politics as you get on Twitter or Facebook. It's harder to create drama commenting on a picture. Um, it's also a great way for someone to see what you're doing, snapshots going on in daily life. As difficult as Crush is, people need to post Crush photos. And Instagram is the quickest and easiest way to do that. You just snap it, throw a filter on it to make it look prettier or not, whatever. Post it and be like, crushing now. Grenache just came in. You know, five words. It takes like 30 seconds. You can do it. Wineries need to do this. Wineries need to post pictures of bottling. Wineries need to post pictures of everything that's going on. And that's the thing that we're lacking in the Arizona wine industry is that no one really knows what else anyone else is doing because we're not using social media the way we should. Um, so for you guys, that's the crux that you should take away from this is that we need to build up our social media presence because you know, I've seen wineries in California that are really great at this and they're overwhelming us. I mean, yeah, there's more of them, but they're overwhelming the people that are looking here and living locally. If we express that and show it out, you know, we'll, we'll make ourselves more obvious. Um, but also there's a great option for creating short about one minute videos. So for me, occasionally what I'll do is a one minute wine review, um, normally for wines that are out of state because that can be a little bit more snarky and, and bitter. Um, I don't like to speak badly about any wineries in the Arizona industry just because we're so small. We're such wonderful people with such heart. Um, but if I get a bad bottle from Germany, I'm going to tear it. I'm going to just tear it apart. Um, there's one I remember. It was a Sylvaner, and I think I categorized it as a frumpy, old, unhelpful librarian. Yeah, that was that was a weird wine. Instagram part two. There are some people though that are using Instagram well in Arizona. And uh, Kent Callion, Todd Bostock, Wines of Wilcox, who for some reason I forgot to put their username, and Chris over at Chateau Tumbleweed, I almost lit the laser pointer out the window. Um, they're all really great people to follow on Instagram um, because they post this kind of stuff on a regular basis during crush season, general things. Like Kent Callion posts a picture of his, basically his porch every night, his sunset, which is awesome. Um, but the rest of the wineries in Arizona, they need to pick up their game. We need to see, people want to see what you're doing. People really wish to know this. Do it. Um, and this is kind of going with everything. You need to create banter with others who are doing similar things, whether it's other wine blogs. Uh, for instance, I occasionally have a regular exchange going on with a wine blogger group in Australia known as Wine Wankers. Um, there's also a blogger in Nevada that I regularly comment with. Um, that sort of thing. Um, but on Facebook especially, I'll be tagging Wines of Wilcox. Uh, so I'll be like, hey, you know, Wines of Wilcox, what's in your glass tonight? And they'll be like, oh, well, we're actually not doing a wine tonight. We're doing a local beer. It's like, well, what about you? And, oh, well, I was thinking about beer, but instead I settled for, you know, this Sangiovese. And not settled, but you know what I mean, and so on and so forth. And the thing is, people on both sides of the group, whether they're following one or both, they'll see this and they'll be instantly drawn and follow along. It creates a rapport. Also, engage your audience. 
what's in your glass tonight? What sort of things would you like to see us do at the winery? What kind of events would you be interested in? Hey, guess what kind of oak we're aging this wine in? That sort of thing. You know, ask the audience questions. That, that engages them, makes them want to join in. Um, but it works best on Facebook and Twitter and to a very lesser extent on Instagram. So Tumblr. Uh, Tumblr has kind of a bad rap uh, for people my age and older because it's seen as often an outward for teens and millennials. But uh, as much as we like to snark on millennials for potentially being lazy or all these other things, they're the future of the Arizona wine industry. Bree, Aaron, we've got uh, Michael Pierce out there who arguably follows right on the edge of the millennial gap. And here he is running an entire wine program. Um, they're driving the future of the market in America, and Arizona will not be any different. Tumblr is a great way to engage that audience because they see it as cool and of their era. Um, it's easy to Instagram with WordPress, Instagram, and Twitter. It has a very easy interface to use. Uh, that being said, I mostly use it as kind of a secondary blogging platform. Um, my blog auto-updates there, my podcast auto-update there, my Instagram auto-updates there. Occasionally I'll do like behind-the-scenes posts like, okay, so this is how I'm going to approach this wine, or one time I reviewed a California wine in poetry form just because I wanted to see if I would do it. Well, okay, it's a California wine, so it's not going to fit on my Arizona blog because that's all Arizona wine. So here's a behind-the-scenes thing of something that goes on in my mind. And by the way, all the pictures that I've been using are mostly pictures that have been posted on wine reviews on the blog, so, or using Instagram. So LinkedIn. Hi, Gary. Love you, Gary. The only photo I think I have of Gary not flipping me off right there. Um, <laughs> uh, LinkedIn is the best way to connect to fellow professionals in the industry, in any industry, but especially the wine industry if that's your focus. Um, you can connect your blog to it, which is what I do. Uh, it's kind of the best way I've seen uh, LinkedIn approach is sort of like a professional Facebook, um, where, okay, this is what I'm doing in my day-to-day -day job, that sort of thing. Um, I've heard of people even finding jobs via LinkedIn posts, so there you have it. It's a great way to hunt for your job in the Arizona wine industry, if you're not in there yet. So I kind of combine these next two for YouTube and uh, various podcasting platforms. Uh, so video and podcasting is becoming incredibly popular, uh, but the equipment can be pricey for the long run. You know, you need a laptop, um, you need a decent microphone, and this is not a very decent microphone. It's a good podcasting microphones will cost up to $300, $400. If you're going to be doing a video blog, you need a decent camera by and large. A GoPro works great. Gary, did you ever friggin' finish editing that one we did? I don't know. The other problem is that ed editing can be a very time-consuming process uh, for audio and video. So I have to give a shout-out to my podcasting editor, uh, Jeremiah Craig. Love you, Jeremiah. You keep this thing going and make me actually sound nice. Um, as I say into the microphone, because apparently he's right over there. Um, but without him, my podcast, you know, and there's a notable difference in, difference in, in um, quality between when I was doing it myself and when he, who has this professional experience, you know, approached me and said, hey, I like what you're doing. I support what you're doing. Here's how I can make it better. And I'm like, great, show me. Okay, you've got the job. Awesome, keep at it. Way to go. Thank you. Um, you can do it on the cheap, but you need better equipment to do it properly. And I'm, admittedly, I'm not doing a podcast series as properly as I should be. Um, as I say to this, which will eventually become a podcast, 
so the irony, yes, I am well aware of. Um, that being said, they're both really great ways to engage an audience. Um, people like to listen to things on long car trips. People like to listen to things even you know, in the evening as they're winding down. You know, so let's say that they have a bottle of wine from Sand Reckoner in their hand, you know, looking up, oh, what if people said, wait, there's a podcast about this? And then they'll find a podcast where I'm talking about this wine, uh, either with maybe the winemaker or drinking it with friends, that sort of thing. Um, I use SoundCloud to host my podcasts, um, but occasionally I make videos of pretty wines and pretty places, and those go on YouTube as sort of a bonus thing. Um, the key is also to connect your SoundCloud to iTunes podcast to get said podcast to a wider audience. iTunes has the highest base of podcast uh, podcast per capita, basically, and it's the most popular place to hunt for new podcasts, uh, so to speak. Uh, Snapchat. So I know the least about Snapchat um, because I tried using it once and got myself horribly confused by it. Um, I played around for it like with a day, had no clue how to use it. But you can also create stories with it apparently. Uh, you can send things to your various stronghold. The only various stronghold, slow clap, various followers. The only winery I know of that's using one is Arizona Stronghold. And I have no idea how they're using it because I don't have Snapchat. So to speak. Gary, do you have any idea? Any comments on Snapchat? Because I know you use it okay, kind of regularly. I enjoy it. It's kind of more like how conversations flow in real life. There's nothing permanent about it. If you're interested in what's going on, it's somewhere in between instantly after it's been seen and 24 hours later, it's gone. You have to, if you want to get something back out of it, you have to start a conversation with someone and ask questions and get to know them. And I feel like a lot of that is like, and it's a great place to share stuff that maybe I don't really want going out permanently to everyone on Instagram, like pictures of me looking locked or attraction. <laughs> yeah, but that's part of the fun. You, you've got a reputation for that now, Gary. I do, but maybe not something I want permanently online, maybe something I want temporarily online for those lucky followers who happen to see it. So if you have Snapchat questions, don't ask them of me. Ask Gary, because he actually uses it and has kind of figured it out. I, I still haven't. Uh, I plan on actually sitting down with it again at some point and trying, but one day. So more tips for social media success. Make the first sentence of any blog 140 characters whenever possible, so that way you can share that first sentence on Twitter with your link to your blog entry. Um, if you don't write anything right off the bat, um, for your Twitter post that auto-updates, it'll just read that first sentence. There you go. There's your Twitter comment for your blog post. Hashtags are necessary. No, really, they are. Um, hashtag learn to love them. Um, the reason being is because hashtags on social media act as searchable terms on all social media platforms. So let's say I tag a post, Sand Reckoner, or Southwest Wine Center. They click on that and they see all other posts that either I or anybody else has made relating to the Southwest Wine Center. So therefore, if they're doing, and I'm pointing to them because they're directly behind me right now um, on the other side of the wall. Um, obviously on the other side of the wall, I'm not standing there right now. Um, you know, they can then, oh, find their website. Oh, look, there's this really awesome program that they're making wine in, in 
In Cottonwood, Arizona, of all places? Really? That's so cool. Hey, I was interested in learning winemaking. I live in Phoenix. Maybe I should apply. The point is, hashtags are also a great way to drive people towards you, too. Um, integrate and link everything together whenever possible. So whenever you make a blog post, make sure that you're connected uh, via that blog to Instagram, if you're doing an Instagram post, to, uh, to Twitter, to Tumblr, to LinkedIn, to Facebook, to all these things. Uh, the hardest to integrate with a blog can be Instagram, uh, because blogs are words and Instagram is photos. Um, but what you can do is do what I do a lot is post the picture of the wine that I'm about to review and be like, hey guys, review is going to be coming up later today on this wine. Come check it out. And I'll tag the varietal and a few other things. And also, like I've also mentioned, I use Instagram as the base for all of my blog photos, uh, by and large. Questions, comments, concerns? Thoughts? Musings? Yes? How about an endorsement? Endorsements work too. I've been listening to the White Monks podcast from the beginning and trying to catch up currently. And while you figured out some of this early sound issues, it, it is kind of an awesome history lesson, as well as gives us a peek at things that we don't get to see here locally, such as your conversation with uh, Del Rio. Yeah. Winery, to find out that that guy knows his stuff. You know, oh, yeah. He had a winery back in Virginia and... I would love to get him to come out to the college and, and give a talk for a day because he's extremely knowledgeable. Yeah, that, that man, you know, is brilliant. And it's actually hilarious because whenever we get together and meet up, his wife and the wife of a friend just kind of sit in the corner and it's just like, oh man, it's like men sharing hunting stories. <laughs> because we just get all geeked out into this wine stuff and, and you know, his wife and, you know, the friends and everything will just kind of sit in the corner. And my friend, if I'm dragging them along, will be like, I'm not following any of this, so I'm just going to sit in the corner over here and it's like listening to them talk about hunting. It's very interesting. But yeah, you know, that's, that's one of the other reasons why I do that is I try to bring in the entire state. Um, yes, it tends to be Verde Valley-centric because that's where I'm here. I don't get down to Wilcox or Sonoida as often as I like. Um, but I try, and if I can't sit down with the winemakers, case in point, I recorded a podcast with Tim White last night. We did two podcasts, actually. Uh, one was for the new uh, 33 Degrees Hidden Hand thing that he's working on. The other was where everyone in the podcast just sat and asked me questions, which I thought was really fun. Um, but yeah, the podcasting thing has been really fun, and that kind of started as, as an, an afterthought of like, well, you know, someone said, well, basically, you like talking about this stuff, so why don't you actually talk about it on the air? And I was like, that's actually kind of a good idea. And the podcasts are a lot of fun, too, because they're not stuff that you're like, all right, I'm sitting from my computer writing about lines. We're in my garage working on the car. Yes. So it's also, you can vary the setting a lot and make it more entertaining for the listener rather than, you know, if someone doesn't like reading very much, but they like to listen to things along car trips, it can be more entertaining. You know? And that's one of the reasons why I try to vary my podcast whenever I can and make them fun. Uh, Gary and I have a regular thing where wherever we're working on a car, we record a podcast, and it seems like it's always from Grand Canyon Winery. Uh, somehow that's how it's always worked. <laughs> uh, okay, I do have a serious question. Okay. Regarding uh, sponsorship for podcasts and for blogs. Can you speak at all to obtaining sponsorships that really help make it all possible? I pay for my blog and everything out of pocket. Um, I don't have any sponsors. I wish I did. It would be great. Um, but in some cases, I think you can run ads or do advertisements. 
and connect with people and maybe they'll send you an ad that you can somehow link to their site or your site and it'll run through a cycle through all these ads and send money, but I have no idea how that works. That's beyond my canon understanding. So I just pay for the blog out of pocket and it's about, you know, the way I have it set up, it's $16 a year, so it's very affordable. Um, the charge goes through every September. But yes, there are some people who can and have made a living off of this. By and large, my Wine Monk money comes from the reviews from the noise. Um, because I get paid about, I can't remember how much per word, but you know, I, I get a, a check that more or less pays for the next three wines that I'm going to be reviewing, more or less. Um, which is how that blog kind of stays afloat, more or less. And so it doesn't get detracted from that. And I also do occasionally articles once every issue for um, Arizona Wine Lifestyle about different winemakers. And the next one I want to do is actually on Del Rio. It's funny that you should mention that. So. Thank you for you. Thank you. You're welcome. It, it makes me feel better when, when people thank me for what I'm doing because sometimes I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing and that no one really cares or listens. So it's nice to know that people love me. They really love me. <laughs> yes? Um, so some of us aren't really good at taking video. And I've seen a lot of videos, you know, YouTube and whatnot, that are shaking, and you, know, you can't really determine what they're focused on. Really. So any suggestions for... Tripods. Tripods. Tripods will work wonders. Tripods or s film it on your computer uh, using your webcam. Those would be my two suggestions. Now, granted, with a tripod, you can use a different camera and get better quality um, than you would with a, a cell phone. Uh, sorry, not a cell phone, a computer webcam, but uh, computer webcam, it's already um, built in, so to speak. So you have all that fun stuff. Um, but a tripod, and you can use even a regular digital camera with that if you want to. Um, or have someone with a very steady hand hold a cell phone camera. Um, which really surprised me that no one has made tripods for a smartphone yet. I honestly don't know why no one's done that, because that seems like a no-brainer to me. Um, but neither here nor there. What's on your website? So the website, gosh darn it, let's go back here. I'll load it up here. Loans. Keyword. So, well, we have here the latest entry is actually a podcast. So, this is from SoundCloud. I posted on SoundCloud. I shared the link here. So, if we want to, we can actually you know, take a listen. So, fun story the piece that I open with this, the coral piece, is uh, a hit, an Eastern Orthodox hymn from Georgia. Arizona wine. Uh, devoted to the Virgin Mary called You Are a Vineyard. So there's Again, the tie in between. Uh, this is Cody, the Arizona Wine Monk. I'm here with my friend Sarah Lance. Uh, We've been trying to record this about three times, which is a very important number. So there we go. So anyway, we have this here, and it's like, okay, this is why I haven't been posting very much. I've been in Wilcox. Here's a picture of the wine we podcasted. Here's an example of a review. You know, again, took that picture on Instagram. Uh, Sam over there was making a snarky comment about it, uh, about me earlier. He's like, oh, hey, I've got the money for you for that review. And I'm like, shut, shut up, Sam. Love you, Sam. <laughs> but, you know, this is how my profile goes when it comes to reviewing a wine, is I'll talk about the wine, how it was made, where the grapes are from, any particular cool quirks, how it was aged. Then I'll talk about what I smell, what I taste, 
what I pair, what my impressions are. Um, then there's another podcast and so on and so forth. So this is what my blog looks like. Um, it looks kind of pretty. It's nice, it's polished, it's easy going. You can also integrate your Facebook page with your blog, so to speak. And then this is a picture of Sangiovese grapes at, at Fort, the much belated, much missing, long gone Fort Bowie. Uh, also, I should say, I suppose, much maligned. Uh, one way or another, yes, it might be a good thing that it's gone, but it still produced a lot of good fruit, or decent fruit for a lot of people. Anyway. So that's what the website and blog looks like itself. And then we've got, like I said, the, the podcast going. Any more questions or comments? This picture is uh, your decker from Jerome. Mm hmm So are quite a few of these podcasts. They're hilarious because they start out one way and they end up totally Yeah, they end up, we'll talk about the wine for a little bit, and they end up in a complete string of consciousness. Um, <laughs> that has very little to do with uh, everything that we're talking about. But, uh, yeah, there we go. So, I've never read your blog, but given what you're saying about the Arizona wine and it being pretty small, do you just focus on the positive? I try. Um, if there's a wine I don't like, I will say that I don't like this, but the other way I do it is I just talk about what I taste. I try not to make value judgments because while I may not like something, everyone's palate is different. And this is why I honestly, okay, I'm sorry, I'm going to get on my soapbox here for a minute and rant for a minute. I hate the scoring system for wines, this whole 90 to 100 point bullshit. It means nothing. It is like, whose line is it anywhere? The points are made up and nothing really matters. Because it's geared around these like 10 guys swirling their glasses and ivory towers going, hmm. This wine smells like truffles and unborn children. Pair this with something dark and sinister. No, no, none of us are doing that. Well, okay, maybe I'm arguably doing that some of the time, but um, you know, wine, the way that they're doing it, uh, I feel is, is bad because it's geared toward the palates for 10 people and the people in the supermarket you see or they go into Total Wine who don't know why and they say, oh, it's 92 points. This must be so much better than 89 points. And really, no, because I've had 89 and 80 point wines that I really enjoyed and I've had a 95 point wine that I thought was the worst wine I've ever tasted. Um, it's, again, very subjective. So I try to just be like, this is what I'm tasting. This is what I paired with. This is what it smells like to me. The impression that I give, because I do give a personification, can be a little bit of a clue of how I uh, feel about wine. Also, hilariously, uh, uh, my girlfriend has noticed that there is a distinct correlation between the quality and way I set up a picture for a wine and how I really feel about it which I did not even realize until she pointed it out one night, and I'm just like, oh yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> so, so subconsciously it'll creep in, but by and large I try to keep it positive. Um, mostly because uh, there are you know, a lot of different wineries, it's still very small, we need all the help we can get uh, to stand up against the big brothers next door who will want to put us down whenever they can, uh, i.e. California. Um, 
But uh, if I don't like a wine, I'll, I'll be honest and forthright and be like, hey, you know, I didn't really care for this, but maybe you will. Um, case in point, I'll be honest, the Freitas Sangiovese I tasted and am reviewing was the most acidic Sangiovese I've ever tasted. It was not my thing. Um, but however, for someone who is an acid hound, <coughs> uh, will probably really dig it, which is why I have a bottle of Sangiovese for you to finish. Um, you might want to. <laughs> but that being said, while it's not for my palate and I didn't really dig it, someone else will. Um, another great example of uh, an entry on this would actually be um, a while back, uh, Eric Walmsky did a essentially a wild ferment that run amok Barbera. Um, very bready, very all these characteristics that were normally characterized as wine flaws, but he bottled it and made it anyway, he's very honest about it. So I was honest in my review. It's like, okay, this is weird, really funky, I don't like it, but if you're a person who's more of a beer person, who likes Belgian sour ales or lambics, you're going to totally dig this. This is going to be your introduction to spark wine. So really, there's a, there are ways to spin anything, but uh, that's how I roll. So if we were done a comparison of you know, northern versus southern Arizona, same grade, Um, Not quite yet. I've done similar things like that across the board with uh, other grapes across the world. And the closest I've done to that was um, when I did the, one of the very first podcasts I actually ever did uh, was with Tanat. And we had a Chateau Tumbleweed Tanat with fruit that came from Dragoon. And we had a D, uh, DA Tanat. I think it was the 2013 vintage in there. And I think both were 2013, if I remember correct. So there was an unofficial comparison between North and South. Uh, the hilarious thing about that podcast is that Tanat being the national Uruguay, the national Uruguay of wine, clap, National Wine of Uruguay. Uh, Uruguay came out last in that entire podcast. Arizona came in number one and number three. France came in number two. Uh, that was just what we liked. Um, so we liked Arizona Tanat. That was where I really, that was when it really hit me that Tanat, I think it's going to be our Titanic Bray. Sorry I got on a tangent, but I am planning on doing posts and podcasts like that in the very long run. Um, I also want to do a podcast where it's a Grapes from the same vintage, from the same vineyard, but made with different winemakers. So let's say Tim White versus Maynard versus uh, Kent Callaghan versus, okay, no, uh, James Callaghan doesn't source anything from the old, or uh, Jason, Jason DeMonica. You could do that with Merlot from the old, they gave those grapes to five different winemakers yeah. this year. You know, the, the idea is that that would be another fun way of comparison, like how does one's approach with the grapes work? Um, I kind of also really want to do that with the Pierce Merlot and the upcoming, will be released probably in November or December, uh, Sabatoria units Merlot. Uh, I had a sample of that and oh my goodness, that was amazing. But uh, I haven't done that yet, but I will, and I'm planning on doing that. So it's something that has been coming in my mind. Um, another thing I did is I just bought uh, two bottles of Sauvignon Blanc uh, from DA because I'm going to be going to a wedding in Kansas next month. Well, one of the big grapes in Kansas is Sauvignon Blanc. So my plan there is uh, I'm going to be passing also through Nebraska, so I'm going to pick up a Nebraska Sauvignon Blanc, pick up a Kansas Sauvignon Blanc, sit with my friend who's a geologist, we'll do a podcast comparing the geology of these regions to see if maybe that has something to do with the local influence of water in these wines. Try to stick to the same vintage when I can, but again, I can't. That because I have no idea what's on the table then. 
Um, I know it's a voluntary economy. Uh, you know, I, the original podcast plan was to do a, basically three tiers of podcasts with winemakers, with tasting room staff, and then with beginners. But it's kind of just kind of gone to, we're going to podcast this because this is going to be cool. Um, thing. And much like how this answer has degenerated into a stream of consciousness. Any more comments, questions, concerns? Um, well, I try to do a, I try to post a podcast a week. What I've noticed, what actually happens in reality, is I'll have spurts of time where I'll record in two weeks like six podcasts, or seven podcasts, or eight podcasts, and then, oh, I don't have to do anything for a while. And I kick back and relax, and then I realize, oh, shit, I'm out of podcasts, I need to record one, and then this happens a few weeks ago. So I'm trying to keep it stable, but the general rule of thumb is at least once a week. Uh, there will be a podcast with maybe a two-week or three-week break, which I'm going to call the season now. So there will be different seasons. Arguably, I'm in season two of the Arizona Wine podcast, for, for lack of a better terminology. And Sam keeps speaking in, so we should probably uh, let him come in and crash the party, as he would say. Well, thank you guys for, for sticking around and listening to me. Um, I've got all my social media info up there on the board. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter, follow me on Facebook, follow me on Instagram, follow my blog, my SoundCloud. Um, I couldn't remember my LinkedIn link, so uh, I also said I also have LinkedIn. And uh, all that fun stuff. And like I said, thanks you guys for uh, letting me speak to you all about this.